0: This is Lecture 8 of the Gita course Meditation Instruction by Joseph Goldstein at the Naropa Institute on July 9th, 1974.
1: It also depends on on individual differences. There are some people who are very motivated by the thought of enlightenment. There are people who really work hard. With that is a very strong goal. Okay, but it's all in balance. They, they walk the path, and they're right in the present moment. But still that, that awareness of the possibility of freedom is what motivates them. Some are not particularly motivated by that. They're motivated more by an understanding, by wanting to understand what's happening right here and now. Right? So it depends on temperament and what kind of individual motivation we, we each have. Some people are motivated by fear of going to hell. You know, really, and if, if that can be dealt with in a, with a in a balanced way, it's very powerful. And I know some people have reached very high stages of meditation, very much pushed on to work by that by that thought, that if they don't get it together, you know, there's there's every possibility that they're going to end up someplace they don't want to be. So they work. because that can get out of balance, and you can get very depressed and morbid about it and then that's it doesn't do any good so it's all it depends on temperament
2: (coughs) (coughs) i went to electron transfer (coughs) yesterday and they they go on and on about
3: all these
2: benefits physiological benefits and everything has any equivalent research been done or can you speak Uh, about what would come from this
1: the thing is it's not as i said at the meditation centers like in the East, there are lots of case histories, just lots and lots of people being cured of all sorts of things. Things which seemingly like (laughs) TB and cancer and, uh, uh, you know, you name it, and arthritis. (laughs) But that's really not what's important. You know, what's important is the development of insight and understanding and wisdom. So it's not... It's not emphasized very much, but just taken as a byproduct of the meditation.
2: I think part of their reasoning is probably because they part of their package deal to appeal to right. people
1: more and speak to them. Like the, it's true, it, you know, those those things do happen, mm-hmm. but that does not solve the basic problem. You know, so you get rid of a pain in the body. Okay, it's nice. It's nice to be free of pain, but the basic problem of living goes on. And what we're trying to do with the development of insight is to undercut the root of all suffering, not just of, of momentary ones. Mm-hmm. And for that, you have to cut very deeply, you really have to penetrate very deeply into what the process is all about.
2: Are you going to speak about
1: continuing after this board is over, that? I think the last, the next session. Actually, I didn't put those up. They're put up by people who wanted to organize them. Why? And that's really what it depends on. <coughs> <I know. coughs> Are there people here who were not here either yesterday or Monday? Uh, yesterday or Friday? Okay. We'll go over. to <coughs> uh, There's some new stuff also. A lot of the Gita course, and Ramdas's sadna sadhana in particular, are very much involved with the Development of Love and Devotion. Love is a certain space in the mind. It's a certain certain place in the mind that's very open and very soft and very gentle. And that place in the mind, that space created by feelings of love Make the mind very workable, very pliable. It's very easy to do things with the mind when it's in that place of love, sending out loving vibrations. So it's a very beautiful complement to the practice of insight. Because if you're in that space, and then use it to develop awareness, to develop understanding, it becomes much easier. The development of love opens one up. It opens, it opens up all the knots that are in us. And in that state of openness, it's very easy to then apply the insight, to apply mindfulness to see what it is that's happening. And there is a specific kind of meditation which is developed primarily for the cultivation of the factor of loving-kindness, to, to specifically cultivate that state of love in the mind. So we get to that place of openness in which we can then apply insight, apply, apply wisdom. So what we're going to do today is to begin that practice of loving kindness, sending out loving thought. And you will see how it, how it establishes the mind in that very open, receptive place. And how easy then it is to practice mindfulness on what is happening there, because we're all opened up then. There are two ways to develop this kind of loving kindness. One is as a specific concentration technique, which involves a mantra and a visualization. And you can go into very high states of samadhi on the feeling of love. You can reach states of trance and absorption and the jhana levels very high high states of concentration on loving-kindness. You, you become absorbed in the love. That's not primarily what we're concerned with here. That, that requires a very special uh, place and practice. But there's another kind, which is the general development of loving-kindness. Just sending out loving thoughts universally. That is, generating these thoughts of love not for a specific group of people, I'll send my my love to them and not to them. Rather, generating it universally, wishing love for all beings without discrimination. This is done, this practice is done by repeating several different phrases expressing loving thought. For example, may all beings be happy may all beings be peaceful, may all beings be free of suffering, free of pain, may all beings be enlightened. This repetition of these phrases, really feeling what the words mean, getting into the expression of may all beings be happy, and what that means, and how you feel in in doing it. When you sit down for meditation, the first five or ten minutes of each sitting, you should sit and generate these thoughts of loving kindness, just sending them out, sending them out into the universe. May all beings be happy. May all beings be peaceful. May all beings be free of suffering and free of pain. May all beings be enlightened. You can choose any phrases that you feel comfortable with. Just find, find a set of phrases of three or four that feel right to you and which you can get into a natural rhythm with. Okay? It is a mantra. It's a mantra of loving kindness. So you want to be repeating these phrases very rhythmically, but really feeling what the words mean. Okay, really getting into the expression, to the sending out of these loving vibrations. It's a very beautiful practice, and you will see how it sets the mind up in that place of openness. Just opens the mind up. So, for 10 minutes or so, we do this practice, develop that openness of mind, and then begin the practice of insight, of developing wisdom. We'll see how much easier it becomes. One other aspect of this sending out of loving thought is the clearing of the mind of any kind of tension or disturbance or hostility that we may have that we may have accumulated with other people Often during the course of a day either knowingly or unknowingly we may have hurt or offended someone so it's very nice when you sit down, just before you begin this practice of, of loving kindness, to ask forgiveness, to silently, if I have hurt or offended anyone in thought, in word, or in deed, I ask forgiveness. And also to extend forgiveness to anyone who may have offended me. Okay? To ask forgiveness, if I have hurt anyone in thought, in word, or in deed. And I freely forgive anyone who may have offended me, either knowingly or unknowingly." And that is a very great clearing of the mind. It just clears away any lingering unpleasantness or tension that, that may have evolved in our relations with other people. And it puts the mind in a very nice place. You will experience what a nice feeling it is. So when you sit, begin with that practice, and then do five or ten minutes of sending out of loving thought by repeating those phrases, or any ones, any ones that you feel good with. Are there any questions about that? Okay, why don't we sit for about ten minutes or so doing just that practice, okay? repeat the phrases very rhythmically. Just may all beings be happy, be peaceful, be free of suffering, may all beings be enlightened. Really feeling what the words mean. you
2: going to indicate for us to go into the next
1: level, or are we going to break? We're going to break. We'll just do this. The asking of the forgiveness and the, and the loving kindness. About 10 minutes or so. Any questions about that kind of practice? Is
0: it, is it all right to change what you're saying or should you stick to the same
1: thing? Um, It doesn't matter really. If you you find a few phrases that you feel good with and repeat them, you'll be adding the effect of a mantra which makes the samadhi strong. So not only will you be developing love, love loving kindness, but also strong one-pointedness. So that and rhythm, also one-pointedness. You know. But it, it, it's loose. You know, you want to just open up. thing you can try doing is uh, you can do this practice both at the beginning and at the end okay in the beginning it opens up the mind a lot in the <coughs> end you're doing it with a more concentrated mind because you've already been sitting for an hour right so the force of it is much greater I would not dwell on it too long you know <laughs> but if you do it every day you will find that that it's much easier to let go of the grudges that we feel. See, the, when, we're, when we're asking or extending forgiveness and generating thoughts of love, it's dealing with other beings. right? Other beings are concepts. Person is a concept. Man, woman are concepts. It's not the level of ultimate reality. Which is why we don't want to hang out in that place. Although it's a very beautiful place to be, this space of love but it's not touching the ultimate truth. So we want to generate the thought, open ourselves up, and then use that place to really investigate the ultimate nature of things. Right? We, want to, we want to go beyond the concept of other beings. So we use the concept to develop this kind of feeling in us, which is a very great openness, and then use that openness to really, to really hit at the ultimate truth underlying it. Any other questions? I
0: feel a lot more comfortable um, focusing on my heart chakra and
1: feeling. So okay, it does not matter. You can send it out from here, from the head, any place.
0: That's
1: okay. It doesn't matter. <coughs> okay. Last week, in the beginning of the week, we discussed the five hindrances, those five mental factors, and how to make them the objects of meditation when they arise. Today we're going to discuss the five spiritual faculties, which are also five mental factors, the five factors of mind, which are a help on the spiritual path. In fact, they constitute the spiritual path, (coughs) the development of these factors. The first one is devotion, or faith, or confidence. confidence in what we're doing, or devotion in what we're doing, that factor of mind can also be begun to be developed in devotion to another being. But it's not the other being which is important, it's the devotional quality of mind which is important, the development of that particular mental factor. And it's a big help on the path because when devotion or faith or confidence is strong, it overcomes the hindrance of doubt. Right? If you have strong faith, strong confidence, doubt does not work very much because you have that faith in what you're doing. So it's a very important factor to cultivate. But when it becomes very strong in the mind, when there's strong devotion or strong faith, then that very quality of mind should become the object of meditation. We should become aware that at this moment devotion is strong, or faith is strong. Otherwise it gets out of balance and we begin to identify with the devotion. We begin to get attached to it. And then it is no longer a help. As a mental factor in itself it's a spiritual faculty. But it's only through being mindful of it when it arises that we allow it to work and to evolve properly. Otherwise we get into the place of I'm feeling such great devotion, all centered around the I concept, which then just becomes another hindrance. So when devotion is there, or faith or confidence, when it becomes predominant in the mind, we should just be aware of it with mindfulness, and just observe that quality of mind, let it unfold as it will, without identifying with it, without getting attached to it. Okay? It's a very nice place to be, in that place of devotion. But that's not the end. It's only a means to, to develop insight, to develop further understanding. So we don't want to get stuck in it. We want to develop that spiritual faculty and use it for, for the development of understanding. And that only comes about through being mindful, through being aware without getting attached to it, without identifying with it, merely observing that devotional aspect of mind when it arises. It's the first one. The second spiritual faculty is concentration, which means one-pointedness of mind. This concentration gives strength to the mind. Without some degree of one-pointedness, it's very hard to penetrate into anything. The mind stays very scattered and superficial. So we have to develop the power of samadhi, the power of one-pointedness. When that that is strong in the mind, when, when you're sitting down and you're feeling very concentrated, that very state of mind should be made the object of the meditation, so that we don't get caught up by it. We don't start identifying, oh, I'm very concentrated now, and what a great yogi I am, because my mind is not wavering in the whole trip commenting, reacting to the concentration. We just want to observe it. It's a mental factor working in its own way. It has the function to keep the mind steady on the object. That's all. Concentration or samadhi is not I, and it's not me, and it's not self. It's an impersonal, impermanent mental factor. So when it's present, we should be aware of it. We should be mindful of it, so that we don't get attached and we don't identify with it. Samadhi is a very, it's a very um, alluring factor, because it brings great bliss, great happiness. And there are very many yogis who develop very high states of samadhi and get caught by the happiness. They just hang out in that place. It's like going on vacation someplace. You go to a very beautiful place, and you stay, and you enjoy yourself, and you come back, and you have to go to work again. You can develop the concentration to a very high degree, be in this very blissful place, and you stay there, and you stay there, and you come back, and you're right back where you started. So we don't want to identify with it. We don't want to get attached to it. It's an important factor to cultivate. When it's strong, we should be mindful of it. We should be aware that, at that moment, the factor of concentration is strong, not taking it to be I or self or mine. It's It's just a... faculty of mind, working in its own way. There's devotion, there's concentration. The third spiritual faculty is effort, or energy. Energy of mind, effort of mind. And that is the root of all progress, of all growth of understanding. Nothing happens without an effort. It's very wishful thinking to think that enlightenment or freedom or wisdom or understanding is just going to drop down to us. It's not, it comes It comes through making an effort. But effort too is just a mental factor. It's not I and it's not self and there's no one who's making the effort. It's merely understanding the functioning of that particular mental faculty. Right? It's the factor of effort which is making the effort. So when we're involved, when the mind is very energized and feel very inspired to, to be mindful, which is what the effort entails, it's not effort to do anything except to be mindful. When we feel that effort, that energy strongly, we should be mindful, we should be aware that at that moment the factor of effort or energy is present, so that we don't identify with it. We don't start thinking, oh, I'm making this great effort now and enlightenment is going to come. And that's an identification, an attachment with that spiritual faculty. Right? It's a mental factor only. It's not self and it's not mind. It's merely a factor working in its own way. So when it's predominant, that should become the object of the meditation, so that we don't get caught up by it. We don't begin identifying with it as being self. There's devotion and concentration and effort, wisdom. Wisdom is the fourth spiritual faculty. Wisdom is like a light in the mind. If you go into a room and the room is all dark, completely black, you cannot see anything. Right? All the objects are obscured by the darkness. You can't see what they are or how they're working. You just stumble around. If you bring a light into the room, you bring a candle or turn on the light, then everything becomes revealed. You can see all the different objects, you can see how they're all working, you make your way through them very clearly. Wisdom is the same factor in the mind. It's a light in the mind, it's an illumination, so that all the different elements of mind and body become revealed. It's like turning on the light inside of us. Everything becomes clear, distinct, illuminated. Not only do we see what is there, but how these things are working, we see the process. But wisdom also is, <coughs> is an impersonal mental factor. There's no one who is wise. It's just, it's just the development of this certain faculty of mind which has the function to illuminate. So we're sitting in meditation and the mindfulness is strong and the concentration is strong and all these, all these profound insights are coming into the nature of our mind and body. We should be aware that at that moment the wisdom factor is present not to identify with it, not to sit there thinking, oh, I understand so much and I'm so wise now. Because there's no one behind it. It's merely the working of that particular factor of mind, the illuminating factor. Right? So when it's present, we should be mindful of it without identifying with it, without taking it to be self. There's one stage of insight, which as you walk along the path, where all these spiritual faculties get very sharp. Just so, everything becomes so clear and so distinct, and it's working so effortlessly. And it's it's a kind of happiness and insight and wisdom that's qualitatively and radically different from everything that ever went before. And a 90% common experience of people who reach that stage is they think they're enlightened because it's such a powerful opening up, a powerful clarity of vision, that taking that stage to be enlightenment, which it is not, it's just a stage on the path, is a very great hindrance, a great obstacle. And it comes about because of this subtle kind of identification with these different spiritual faculties, right? It's taking the spiritual faculties as being self, and I'm enlightened now. Of course, that's... That can't be, as long as there's an I. So when these faculties are strong, we should be mindful of them. We should be very aware so that we don't get caught in that identification with them. (coughs) Okay, there's devotion and concentration and effort or energy and wisdom. The fifth spiritual faculty, the last one, is mindfulness itself. Just that quality of mind, that factor of mind which notices the present object, which does not allow the mind to forget what the object is. For example, you're sitting and there are thoughts going on. Maybe for two or three minutes you're not aware that thoughts are going on. The mind is knowing the thought. The thought is there, but we're unmindful. We are unaware that that is what's happening in the present moment. Mindfulness means picking up moment to moment, remembering in each instant what the object is. So that as soon as there's a thought in the mind, the mindfulness is aware of it. The mindfulness notices, oh, thinking, thinking, just in the instant. And that way with sensations and different mental phenomena. Mindfulness means noticing what it is that's present. But mindfulness too is not self and it's not mind, and there's nothing to get attached to It's merely a mental factor working in its own way. When the mindfulness is strong, we should be aware that, oh, at this moment, the mindfulness is very strong. That's all. To recognize it, not to identify with it, not to get involved with the I concept about it, right? If we can do that as these spiritual faculties develop, then they bring all the factors of enlightenment to maturity. So we want to develop them, we want to let them evolve and unfold, but always being mindful. That is, recognizing them when they're present without getting attached, without identifying ourselves with them. Letting them unfold, functioning according to their own nature. So when we sit now, we start with the breathing, and then the awareness of the posture and sensations in the body, and thoughts and emotions and the hindrances, and these spiritual faculties also. Whenever they become predominant, they should become the object of the meditation at that moment. There should be no looking for them, right? Just sit back, let the river flow on, let the whole passing show of mind and body flow, and whatever it is that's the strongest, whatever is predominant, that's what we should be mindful of in that moment. Let it unfold by itself. And in the course of this unfolding, everything that's in the mind-body complex is going to be revealed. We don't have to do anything except sit back and watch very carefully. <coughs> are there any questions about that? Um, you
0: said that, that you can be unmindful that the thoughts are what's happening in the moment. Well, um, like, light impulses are coming into my eyes at the same time that sounds are coming into my,
1: mind, my ears. It, it's not actually at the same time. The, the consciousness that sees is different than the consciousness that hears. So you're not seeing and hearing at the same time, although it is very quick.
0: But what, what do you mean by the thoughts are what's happening then? Is it just, you just <coughs> I guess I'm confused about what the process is that, that the thoughts are. You know? like, the
1: thought is an object of consciousness. When you're involved in a thought, at that moment, the content of that thought is the object of consciousness. But there need not be mindfulness there. So we're we're just caught up in the thought. The thought the (laughs) The thought is being thought, right? But we are not mindful of it. It's happening anyway. The factor of mindfulness is not present though. So we are unaware that it's happening. It's like a dream. The dream is going on, but we're unaware that it's going on. We're caught in in it. That's what mindfulness means. Always being aware of what the object is in the moment. Are there any other questions? (coughs) Good. Why don't we sit for 15 or 20 minutes? Don't forget intentions. tending to shift position, and shifting position. Be very mindful (laughs) of all the processes. In that exercise it's good to pick one or the other and stay with it because the breath is used um, in a dual in a dual function. One to develop mindfulness and second to develop samadhi. Right? So if you choose one or the other the concentration aspect will be developed uh, deeper. So even when when one feels stronger stay with the place that you've chosen and you'll reach subtler and finer levels. See, the breath is a very interesting object because all other objects, as you become, as you concentrate on them, become clearer and clearer. Right? More and more distinct. When you concentrate on the breath, it becomes finer and finer. Right? And so to, to remain with the, the fine breath as the object, the mind has to get very fine. Right? So if you stay with one and it, it starts to get very subtle, and then you go to the to the grosser aspect of the breath here, you're staying on that and then more gross level. Whereas if you really tune the mind to stay with the fine breath, the mind gets very, very quiet. Sometimes a loud, sharp sound will happen while
0: I'm meditating and I can feel like, I, I can hear it happen and then an instant later I jump and, like, that seems to be, there seems to be no mindfulness with that at all. I, I don't really know what's happening.
1: Oh, no, that's okay. That Like, there's a lot of uh, reaction of the body to external stimuli. The mindfulness is just not in not jumping, but just in being aware of whatever it is that's happening. In other words, to be aware that you're hearing, and then if the body vibrates, to be aware of the vibration. How,
0: how could I, I, I'm not aware of it while it's happening.
1: It's like afterwards, I, I find out that I've done it. However, you know, in the beginning, the mindfulness is, is weaker, so we don't pick up as many things right in the moment. But whenever you're aware of it, at that point, be mindful that that had happened. You know. And as the mindfulness develops, it'll be more and more just instant to instant, right with what's happening. But that's what, that's what the practice is developing then. Would you say
0: again the ideas about peace and happiness and suffering and so on?
1: There are different phrases that can be used. For example, may all beings be happy, may all beings be peaceful. May all beings be free of suffering. May all beings be enlightened. Or you can use phrases like, may all beings be free of pain, free of ill will. May all beings be happy. Any kind, anything that you, know, you feel good. But sort of hit upon a formula that feels right to you and has a nice rhythm you know, in your mind. And then repeat that, you know, because it will develop both the concentration aspect and the development of the love.
0: the way that I see meditation is important is that it allows the thought, the mind objects to come up to the surface and then to disappear again. But I noticed um, that when I become mindful of a thought, it immediately disappears most of the time. And I'm not sure whether the thoughts are ready to go.
1: If they're not, they'll be back. You know, there's nothing we have to do to to program ourselves as far as a cleansing process. It's, uh, the mindfulness itself keeps the system clearing out, right? So the thought comes, you want to be developing a strong mindfulness, because insight comes not from the content level, but from seeing impermanence. The whole thrust of the meditation is to get to the point where you can, where you can be aware of every object in every moment of consciousness as arising and passing away. It's that flow of impermanence which develops insight. In that process a lot of the, the content which has been stored is cleared out, you know, because we're not reacting to it anymore. It comes up, we're mindful of it, and if we're not clinging or condemning, it just comes and goes. If it's a strongly conditioned thought or emotion, at that moment it will come and go, and five minutes later it's going to come again, the content's the same, the same. The thought moment is different. Right? So you don't have to worry about if it's still in you, it's going to come again. And again you watch it and it'll, it'll go away. The primary emphasis should be on, on observing the impermanence. Because then what comes doesn't matter. When you're really firmly grounded in the experience that everything is momentarily appearing and disappearing, what it is that's arising and vanishing becomes somewhat irrelevant because it's gone in a moment you know. and you're just with that flow of impermanence. Does that relate?
2: Um, I find that, well, I find it, it, it better for me, better for my concentration if I keep, keep um, concentrating on my breath rather than um, when I Came, came, came. It just seems that my concentration, I, you know, if I just ignore it completely, it seems like I can. And, and, I, and when I find myself, you know, going from my breath to other things and then coming back, I don't find it my concentration to stay as strong.
1: Okay, there are two things involved. That's fine. So if you feel comfortable with just staying on the breathing, stay on the breathing. But concentration and mindfulness are two different factors. Right? The breath is a concentration meditation, primarily. You need a certain degree of one-pointedness in order to develop mindfulness, in order to be aware of all the different objects with a concentrated mind. With a sharp moment-to-moment <coughs> mindfulness, you have had to develop a certain minimal amount of samadhi, which is why staying on the breath is fine. You, you, know, you, you build up that power of one-pointedness. But sometimes just sit and practice this choiceless awareness because that will cultivate the mindfulness factor, which means m- noticing moment to moment what it is that's happening. Okay, so be with the w- If it feels comfortable and feels right to just stay with the breathing, that's okay. From time to time, just sit back and then use that concentration which you've been developing to get insight into the process of all things. Right? And you'll, you'll feel when, when that balance is is uh, when those two factors are brought into a greater balance, the concentration and the
0: mindfulness. There seemed to be something different happening when I was meditating at that time. And, and, uh, I don't know if I, I don't know if this is what I'm supposed to be doing at all, but um, this time when I was meditating, it seemed that when a thought arose, it, it didn't really particularly matter what the thought was. There was sort of like an aura about what was happening. When, and then when I was concentrating on the pain, it was a different aura. And it, it didn't make any difference what the content of it was. But so I started concentrating on what on on like what the consciousness felt like. Rather, th- and the same thing happened with the breathing. Like I wasn't trying to see the breathing. It was just breathing was happening. and It was a consciousness with that too. Is that is like is that?
1: It's up. There is no rule, right? The only rule. <laughs> there is no rule. The only rule is <laughs> to be mindful of whatever it is that's happening. It can be the mindfulness of the consciousness, of the knowing faculty. It can be the, the mindfulness on the object itself.
0: Right.
1: Whatever, whatever happens to be the predominating thing in the moment, that can be the object of awareness. You can, you can be watching your states of mind You know, in this process. Just don't get involved with them, not, not to identify with, oh, I'm knowing it this way, but just to see the knowing itself as another process. Uh, the,
0: the biggest difference to me, the reason that, that I thought it was significant was that I wasn't was that big, like I wasn't getting attached to the content of anything. Right.
1: But also you don't want to get attached to the concept of knower. Right? Because there's no one behind the knowing process. The knowing is arising and passing away, just like the object. So you can be mindful of that knowing, but there should not be involvement or identification with it. Just to observe the knowing. Mm. Keep in mind that always what we're aiming for is insight into impermanence. To see how things are arising and passing away. Whatever the object is, whether it's the physical objects or mental objects (laughs) or consciousness, just with a very silent mind observing the flow.
0: Um, I find myself
2: um, watching, being mindful, but I'm separating the two. There's somebody watching something else. Whoever's being mindful
1: is watching. Actually, there's no one who's being mindful. Mindfulness is a mental factor Mm -hmm. which works in a certain way. It functions so as to notice the object. There's no one behind it. In the beginning, when the mindfulness is beginning to be developed, there is an effort required right, to be mindful. The effort also is not self, it's just another factor, <clears throat> but at early stages there's a subtle tendency to identify with the effort to be mindful. Right? We're not really seeing the effort as just another mental factor, but identifying. So it feels as if there's someone who's doing it. Actually there's not, it's just this interplay of mental faculties. The kno- okay, when the, when the mindfulness is stronger, you can observe the knowing of the object, right? Before, that, before we observe that knowing process, there's a, there's a very subtle identification with consciousness itself. Someone who's knowing everything. Actually, consciousness and the object are arising and passing away together. Just arising and passing away. A new moment of consciousness. The knowing of the sound is a completely different mind moment than the knowing of a sight. It's happening very quickly, this oscillation is arising and vanishing. When the mind is quiet, you can observe the consciousness arising and passing away. And that begins to break the identification with the knowing. Then you see that the knowing, too, is just a process, and that there is no one behind it. Just knowing an object, knowing an object, knowing an object, arising and passing away. In the course of the practice, either in the walking or the sitting, the walking, it's really, it's much easier. Sometimes be aware of the movement, and sometimes really try to to be mindful of the knowing of the movement. They are happening simultaneously, so you cannot separate them, but you can distinguish between them. The movement is physical, and the knowing is mental. Don't look for a place where knowing is happening, because you won't find it. But nevertheless, it's there, it's immaterial, right? The movement and the touch is physical, the knowing is mind, is consciousness. Sometimes in the walking, try to focus the mindfulness on the knowing process.
4: And it's very interesting. What exists in the gaps between moments of consciousness? It's just
1: it's it's a continuous. Just at the instant of vanishing is one arising. Anyway, at 17 trillion in a, (laughs) it's pretty quick. I feel
0: like you just spoke about this, Hans. I'm still not sure. If mindfulness is a mental faculty, how does one be mindful of mindfulness? When (coughs) actually it's
1: one mind moment, being aware of mindfulness in the previous one. In other words, this mind-body process is a continual succession of moments. Mindfulness works in being aware of the previous object. But it happens so fast that for practical purposes, it's simultaneous. But in fact, what's happening is you're aware of the previous object having arisen and passed away. It's very quick, and it's experienced as being just aware in the moment, because it's a very, very rapid process. So when mindfulness is present, you are aware that that faculty is strong. But it's a different mind moment. It's one mind moment being aware of the previous mind moment as being very mindful. Okay. How, how does that fit in with the concept
2: that there is no real time and that
3: it's all
1: real? Where do you find the conflict?
3: Well, in, in, in saying that there are mind moments, there, are, there is time and sequence
1: the experience is always in the present right? the content of the present experience can be something that has already occurred but it's happening now it's not the experience of the past object is in the present and there's always just the present as far as experience is there an actuality
2: in the past and
1: past is a past is a concept. It's a concept which is derived from a whole class of objects. For example, you have a memory or, or thoughts about plans or imaginings. These thoughts are happening now. They're happening in the present. But we, we categorize those class of thoughts as being past or future. Right? But it's happening in the, in the present moment. So the experience is just always of the now. The past and future are concepts which we create out of this certain class of thoughts like memories and, and planning.
2: <coughs>
1: Desire and anger, and sloth and torpor, and restlessness and doubt.
0: of emotions, but I don't, with, I don't have
1: labels for the emotions at all, they just feelings. When you say the thing to do is to just do something like Right. The label is not what's important. It's the experience of what's happening. Be aware of them, and without identifying with them. Just the thought is the cause, the emotions are the effect, and it's all just this impersonal process going on. And if you're mindful, they come and go
0: one-pointedness focus on the moment or is it something more like mindfulness that
1: focuses on things that just happen? No, t- one-pointedness is that function of the mind which keeps the mind steady on the object. In the moment. Right. It's all, it can only be in the moment because that's what's there. You know? Mindfulness is that which, re- which remembers what the object is. And so there are two different functions. One is the steadying factor, and one is the recollecting factor. Recollecting of the moment, not of the past.
3: In the walking meditation,
4: I find one
3: problem. that it, So as not to bump into people, I have to sort of open my eyes. And most of the time, I prefer to keep my eyes mostly closed. And I find it rather disconcerting to have to remember to not bump into people and look around. Is there a way around that at all?
1: One is to walk in a place where there are no other people. <laughs> you know,
0: these,
1: these rooms are not, this is not the best situation for doing the walking meditation. Um, but always remember that the whole meditation practice is one of developing mindfulness. So if you're in a situation where there are a lot of other people and there's that consideration, when that arises, you should be mindful of it. There's nothing wrong with taking that as the object of the meditation. The thought arises not to bump into people, oh, thinking, thinking. It's as good an object as the walking. Right? You, don't want to, you don't want to discriminate between objects, because they're all equal, precisely because they are all impermanent. And it's seeing the impermanence which develops wisdom. You can see impermanence any right? On any object at all, externally, internally, mind, body, everything is part of the flow. And what we want to do is become aware of that process of arising and vanishing of all phenomena. So wherever you look, it will be okay, whatever object. Just don't don't have concepts about um, where the consciousness is. Merely if you're on the breathing and you feel a sensation here, it's just a sensation. That's all. Just let it happen. Be aware of it without without getting attached to it, without identifying with it, and you'll see that this is a flow of sensation. It's not one thing. Just <coughs> be with it as long as it's predominant, and then back to the breathing. Then there's <coughs> nothing special about any state at all. There's nothing special about sensations in any special place. So they're all equal. Okay. Um, wh- when you were talking
2: about mindfulness in the previous live um uh, could, you, could you go up to what it
1: was? It doesn't, that's really, that's a, a fairly accurate theoretical description of it, but that's not how it's experienced. So it's not so important because it's happening so quickly. Like the Buddha said, there are 17 trillion mind moments in an instant. <laughs> so the fact that one mind moment, you're being mindful of the previous one, we're not, on, we're not picking it up on that level.
3: Well, the whole idea of being mindful, mindful, being mindful, being mindful, and then being mindful... Being
1: no, it does not work like that. No. You will see in your practice, it's just... <coughs> When the mindfulness is really strong, and that's just be aware that at that moment the mindfulness is strong. That's all. Yeah. The infinite regression series does not, in fact, happen. Sure? Yes.
2: A yeah. friend of mine was studying with Gowinka in She was telling me that. When they would have long sittings, sometimes they'd uh, throw the negativity out of themselves. And he would might like, take their negativity and give good feelings back to them, love feelings back to them, and that uh, you had to be careful if you were sitting with a group or, or a person um, who wasn't able to really like, take your negativity and neutralize it, more or less, because It it could really be sort of disastrous, or you could get negative feelings back to you, which would be a pretty hard thing. And yesterday I I was going through really tormenting meditation, and I just felt the need to get rid of the negativity, but I was really afraid to throw it out, because I didn't just want to send out negative feelings. And so I had a puja with a picture of Ramaraji, so I was just thinking, well, it can't fail (laughs) And Now he can make it. Well
1: I was wondering if you could comment on that or tell me something. But one thing is it's not so helpful to get involved in the concepts of what's happening. That whole description is a whole is a whole concept, right? It's a conceptual picture of, of negativity being thrown out and somebody neutralizing it. Actually, what's happening is just a succession of arising and passing away of different states. If you're mindful, then, then you remain unaffected. It doesn't matter. Whatever is coming at you, if you're aware of it, it doesn't cause any disturbance because you're, just, you're mindful of whatever feelings or sensations or emotions arise, and not identifying with them. So it doesn't matter. It can be negative, it can be positive, it can be love, it can be ill-will. They're all equal if you're mindful. So you're just watching them all come and go. So the whole practice is really the development of that kind of mindfulness. You know, you don't have to worry about the transmutation of energies. Isn't continuity of the mind important? Continuity of mindfulness. (coughs) At every moment, you should be mindful. Would you say mindful as
3: if I understand what that word means?
1: Mindfulness means noticing at each moment what the object is without clinging, without condemning, without identifying with it.
3: Can't you have continuity of the mind moments that go back in infinite regression to where you're still remembering a question that was asked by someone about the concept of time, which you answered in terms of be mindful, and there's there's no
2: continuity. And I'm still remembering,
0: in continuity, thoughts that lead back to a question where. Sure. Right.
3: There is a continuity
0: the of the process. Yes.
3: Wasn't satisfied.
0: Right.
3: And I was trying to figure out where the dissatisfaction lay in, you know, the uh, question and answer.
1: Right. I don't exactly know what you're asking. No. I don't either. <laughs> You know, it's not, it's a mistake to think that these processes are happening randomly. A, there is a continuity of process and there's a whole memory, a whole memory system and, and perceptual pickup where we remember things and so we have available for us a whole storehouse.
3: But what do we do with that storehouse?
1: <laughs> there is nothing to do except to be mindful of what is happening in the present moment.
3: This is what we are doing.
1: We're not doing anything. We're letting the whole process unfold just as it will. We're not trying to control this mind-body process. We just want to be aware of how it is unfolding. There's no control, no saying, I'm going to think about these things and not think about these things. Whatever comes up, choiceless awareness, just to stay in the present moment, being mindful of whatever presents itself. When we're on the thought level, when we're on the concept level, we can, we can deal with a certain kind of communication. Right? The meditative level, then there's no, there's no control. It's just sitting and watching. It's two different levels of mind. There's the, there's the level of silent awareness, and there's the, the thought conceptual level. When you're in that level of thoughts, you're very much involved in content. Right? Which
3: is what we're involved in. Right, about.
1: exactly, exactly. But this is, this is not primarily the meditative level. The meditative level is where you're sitting and just being aware in the moment of what's happening without choosing. Can't
3: you meditate in this level?
1: If you're very mindful. Generally, when people are involved in talk, generally, they're not so mindful. But it could happen. It could happen.
3: Who's to... Pardon? Who's to judge the happen?
1: Who's to what?
3: To judge the happen.
1: What does that mean? Uh,
3: mindfulness. I mean, this is not a mindful moment?
1: It, it depends on the mind. If you are mindful, you're mindful, and if you're not, you know... If the mindfulness is well cultivated, it will be there. If it's still weak, probably in this situation, it won't be. There's no, there's no external rule. It all depends on one's own evolution of mind. Right in this room, there are many, very many, different levels of consciousness happening. You know? And it depends on, on what each of us bring to each situation. That's why the sitting practice, the, the meditation practice, is so important, because in the beginning of the development of mindfulness, it's very difficult to stay moment-to-moment moment aware of what's happening when we're doing a lot of different things on the thought-concept level. So we practice, we sit down, or we restrict our activities and really devote an intensive effort to a silent awareness. Right? The practice is, is is really essential to the development of of that kind of moment to moment mindfulness. I don't know if that yeah. Relates it all.
0: Well, it relates <laughs> to what you said. the
2: little babies, is that a kind of, in that they're always in a of
1: I don't think so because I have the feeling that there's a great deal of identification with what's going on. Mm-hmm. Every time there's there's hunger, there's the identification with the hunger and the screaming. <laughs> you know, Mindfulness means being aware of what's happening in the moment without the clinging, without attachment, without aversion, without identifying. I mean, this is just on the theoretical level, which you can accept or not, but it's said (laughs) that, in fact, the reason we are reborn is precisely because we weren't so mindful in our in our dying moment. <laughs>
0: right. right. <coughs> Anything else? Have you said that mind objects arise of themselves, and we have no control over them arising?
1: Thoughts usually come uninvited. There are causes behind them. It's not to say they arise without cause.
0: And but also effort is a is a mind object. I mean is a
1: Effort is a mental factor. So then, um,
0: I'm not sure how how we make effort. I mean, I can feel myself making effort, but I don't understand. It's just just
1: an it's just an interplay of impersonal processes, right? There's a certain degree of understanding of how things are. Okay, that's a that wisdom, (coughs) that wisdom factor of mind, can be the cause of the effort factor arising, because of the understanding. So there's, there's the energy involved to be mindful. But the wisdom is not self, and the energy is not self, and the mindfulness is not self. It's, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, it's all these factors in a certain relationship of cause and effect to one another. When you take all the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle apart, the picture of the, of the pretty lady that was in the puzzle is gone, right? The, 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 the pretty lady is just the concept that arises when all the pieces are fit together. All we are is a jigsaw puzzle. We're just a lot of different pieces, you know, of material elements and mental elements. And because we have not analyzed, we have not sat, sat down and really looked at what composes us, we are caught by the picture, by the concept of all these elements fitting together, right? when we see that they're all just, they're just rising and passing away moment to moment, so then we get, we get free of the particular concept and see actually what all these pieces are.
0: You know?
1: And that there's no one behind it, there's no, there's no lady behind the pieces you know, of the puzzle. All that there are are those pieces, and all we are are this combination of material elements and mental elements in a certain process. But we form a concept based on that process. And mostly we we dwell in that in that realm of concept of man or woman. Just do an experiment for a moment. Close your eyes. Try to determine whether you're a man or a woman. Very difficult. Because all you feel are sensations. You feel heat, or cold, or tingling, or man or woman is a concept based on a certain visual form, but it's a concept that we're very much involved with, right? The same thing, person or individual, is a concept based upon this input of certain kinds of sense data. But when you stop and experience what it is that's happening, on the experiential level those concepts disappear. When the mind is silent, when there are no thoughts at all in the mind, there's no man, there's no woman, there's no self, there's no time. All of those things are concepts, which can be used. It's not to say that we, we throw all the concepts out. We use the concepts, but it should be done with an understanding of the underlying reality, right? so we don't get caught up by them into unwholesome states of clinging and condemning.
0: what you're saying, but I still feel like I'm
1: experiencing, that I'm deciding. Okay, that feeling should be made the object of mindfulness. It's identifying with that particular feeling that I'm making the effort. Whereas actually, that's just another feeling. So when you have that sort of reaction to what's happening, make that very reaction the object of the meditation. And look at it, and you'll see that that too comes and goes. In other words, there's no, no corner you want to back yourself into from which you're observing everything else because the very corner is part of the process that's arising and passing away. It's letting go of everything, not having any place to stand at all. And whenever you feel yourself standing in a certain place, make that place the object of the meditation. And you'll see that that too is, is coming and vanishing. There's one, one uh, level of experience in the meditation where whatever you turn your attention to, you see it as dissolving. Just instant to instant, everything is dissolving. Consciousness, objects, mental, physical. Very microscopically, dissolution is happening. And it's very much like being on the side of a cliff that's crumbling away and you're trying to hold on to something and every time you try to hold on, that very thing crumbles away too. Nothing to hold on to at all. All you can do is, is be with the flow. No place to stand, no place to grasp at, nothing to be attached to. Because it's all just coming and dissolving. In the Diamond Sutra, there's one line which contains the essence of all the teachings of the Dhamma. And it says, develop a mind which clings to naught. Develop the mind which does not cling to anything whatsoever, not to not to consciousness, not to objects, internal, external, to let go completely. And that's what the meditation is about. So whenever you feel yourself identifying with any aspect at all, either of the effort aspect or the mindfulness, wherever you feel that kind of holding, make that very thing the object of meditation. And you will see that that too is is impermanent and impersonal. Letting go all around. Just freeing ourselves on all sides.
3: My senses keep clinging to the underlying reality, which is like the room and the objects and the conversations. Uh, Even though when this changes, then I'll be clinging to some other underlying reality, which is the room and the conversation. And I don't think it's a question of getting out of being a man, although that
1: eventually you know, is the object. No, it's not. It, it's learning to, what the eye sees is color. You do not see man or woman. The eye sees color. The, the labeling of it as man or woman or person, that's a mental process. It's the thought. It's just a thought. So there's seeing and then thinking. When you're on the process level, we don't, we don't get caught in those concepts, although the concepts are there.
3: This is the process level. Right. Right. And this is the underlying reality. And that's where we're caught. And you say, don't cling to it. And yet, I'm still
1: here. Not clinging does not mean disappearing in a puff of smoke. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it means being aware of what's happening without, without attachment without the greed factor, right? Clinging is the mental factor of greed, which functions... The function of greed is stickiness, right? Stickiness to the object. Everything stays exactly the same. The same thing is happening. All the people are in the room and the talk is going on, but the mind doesn't have to stick to it. Just... Non-greed is the letting go. Being aware of what's happening, not that things disappear, being aware of the process without grasping just letting it all flow nothing changes it's not that it's not that all the objects change it's merely that we're not holding on to them Exactly. That is, ex- when we're with when we with the picture, we get caught in all sorts of oh, that's nice, and that's not nice, and that's you know I want that, and I don't want that. When you're with the pieces, not only it's a not only is it a three-dimensional jigsaw puzzle, but it, it's also operating. It's also in motion, in the sense that everything is all the pieces are arising and passing away. So not only are they pieces, but they're they're in process. Right? And when you're on that level no, we're no longer caught on that content concept right? and the mind stays very balanced. Anything else?
4: This sounds very familiar to me. Um, in psychology there was a, a argument between the structuralists who believe very much Elements of sensation when you're talking about, and the Gestalt psychologists that felt that the natural unit, that the natural unit of consciousness or experience, should be the data. And like what she was saying about the floor being real and solid, it seems to me to be a more natural unit of now, experience.
1: There, when you say the floor is being solid, there are two different things involved there. One is the feeling of solidness which is real. The other is the concept of flaw which we put onto that feeling of solidness. Flaw is a mental concept. Flaw does not exist, except as a concept. What exists is the, the feeling of hardness. Right?
4: Right, yet that feeling of hardness is not really... It's a passing and a... Right. It's a reoccurrence of feeling right. of right. solidity. Right. But what I'm saying is that this technique of meditation is not as, actually, I'm not saying this, I'm just... That the technique of meditation (laughs) is not as natural a process as our experience of this, that we're doing something, um, just like we're analyzing the process. No, no,
1: the, the meditation is exactly the experience of this. It's the experience of the different elements as they present themselves, of hardness and of softness and of hearing and of seeing and of thinking and of emotions. It's exactly being with the experience rather than staying with the concept about the experience.
4: Does the experience ever get to the point of hardness, 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 off on hardness? But the s- conscious experience. Like, like the theory is that it comes and it goes, right. it's passing. Well, what I'm asking is with meditation, do we get to a place where we experience the on off of the hardness?
1: Sure. Sure. That's what it's all about. It's starting with the picking up of the hard, where the primary, the primary uh, data is the experience of the different elements. Right? So you feel hardness or softness or heat or cold. And the whole, the, the mindfulness is really picking up on those distinct elements. Right? When the momentum is built up, those elements remain the same. But the mindfulness sort of makes an intuitive leap and picks up primar- primarily the process of them, right? They're still the same, it's still the hardness and softness and heat and cold, but instead of being primarily concerned with what it is, the, the primary concern with the meditation then becomes the process of them, right? But to get to that point, what's involved is very much becoming mindful of what each, each of the sense data is, the hardness or coldness or whatever. And it's just like building up that frequency of noticing. Y- you, you notice more and more at a greater and greater frequency, objects coming and going. So there's hardness, coldness, thought, thinking, seeing, hearing, sensations, very, very quickly. And you get to a take-off point, where the frequency, the momentum has built up so much that it's all just flowing by itself then. And you're really aware of that flow of impermanence. But still, it's, what is impermanent is exactly these different elements. See, the whole idea is to get on the experiential level rather than the thought level about what things are, but to experience what's happening.
3: Up until that level, don't you need the continuity of the thought process before you can, you know, let it all flow?
1: What do you mean by the continuity of thought process? I mean,
3: can't you take the thought process, which is this random element that's uh, happening all the time, and have a continuity of thought, like in terms of a
1: one-point Right, but if you're, if you're involved on in that thought level, that moment you're not experiencing what happen, what's happening. You're, you're in the concept about what's happening.
2: Well, the experience
3: is also happening at the same time. No,
1: consciousness does not have two different objects at the same time. So, if you're thinking about something, at that moment you're not experiencing it. What's happening at that moment is that the thought is happening.
3: But the experience and thought are alternating.
1: Okay, you don't want to. You don't want to get stay in the words about things. If you're thinking, to be aware that you're thinking. If you're experiencing some sensation, to be aware that you're experiencing it. Not to go, for example, you experience heat in the body. Okay, you pick up the heat. Then the mind goes off on a whole trip, oh, I'm feeling hot and I wonder what this means and maybe I'm getting enlightened. And... <laughs> if, you're, if you stay on that whole associative train of thoughts, at that moment you're not aware that you're thinking and you're not aware of the heat.
3: What can I be aware of causing the
1: that very much is is part of the development of insight you see an intention to stand and you stand the intention is the cause the standing is the effect and you see that on a on a more and more subtle level in the whole mind body process the things in the body are causes for effects in the mind and things in the mind are are causes for effects in the body well,
0: there's almost
3: something beginning each
1: it it it's it's a it's it's not at the same moment, but it's, there's the cause and there's the effect. Yeah. And
3: within that, there's a continuity.
1: Sure, there's a continuity. There's a continuity of process. Right.
3: And that's important, I think.
1: It, it, it's there. It's not, it's not important or not important. <laughs> <laughs> that's but how it is.
3: Is it important to understand that it's
1: there? The understanding comes not from thinking about it. The understanding comes from, that, from the experience of the flow. In other words, we're not primarily engaged in an intellectual understanding of what's happening. We want... No. That's very secondary, because there are lots of people who read all the books and understand all the theory and do not understand the Dhamma. You know, the understanding comes intuitively from a silent mind, not, not from the intellectual level. When you experience... The continuity of process, then you will understand it, not thinking about it. And you can only experience how that process is working by sitting down and being mindful moment to moment. That kind of intuitive wisdom is not the result of of a thought process. It's the result of a silent experience of what's happening. And out of that silence comes, comes that intuition that, oh, this is how it is there is a continuity of process. Yeah. But that's, that's based on your experience then. And then the Dharma, then that understanding comes from yourself and not from, not from external sources. You know, one of the things my teacher said very often was that the Buddha's enlightenment was his. It's not mine. And really it doesn't help me, except as a pointing out of what I have to do. Right? Each one of us has to get enlightened or has to to start observing the process for himself and to know what somebody else said, it does not help very much. It, it's purely second-hand. So what we have to do is sit down and just experience these things for ourselves. That's why it does not... You can, anything that's said in these classes, it's completely irrelevant whether you believe them or not. It, it just makes no difference at all. The important thing is sitting down and seeing for yourself what it is that's happening.
2: semester will that be the same or um, lectures that you can be in the semester?
1: No, the, what's going, it's going to be meeting two times a week, three hours a time, three hours a session, okay. and roughly divided into a talk, a discussion, and an hour meditation. The meditation instruction will be the same. The talks will be somewhat different.
2: It's the same as what we have this semester? Right. Um,
1: the only repetitious part would be the meditation instruction.
0: Right. So,
1: Yes, Thursday and Friday.
0: one
4: Thursday and six. six o'clock. Right. Friday?
0: Uh, what?
1: Friday, thirty Right. The schedule I think is up on mm-hmm. we'll be available this week at all
0: for um, Wednesday. For, for uh, you know, right. conference. Wednesday mm-hmm. about what time? Nine thirty to eleven and three to four thirty. I think the keto office tell us something about the schedule that seems to be following after your retreat.
1: Getting up at about four. Four thirty. Walking, sitting, eating breakfast. Walking, sitting, walking, sitting, eating lunch. Walking, sitting, walking, sitting, tea. This be
0: up to you? you, how much you walk or sit, or will it be set periods. Of there'll be some group,
1: there'll be some group sittings, and some time where you're just doing it, you know, individually. But
0: uh, things like
2: yoga and exercises will that be? Maybe
1: if somebody wants to do like ten or fifteen minutes a day, it would be okay. It's not. It would not be encouraged to get into a whole yoga trip.
0: Right?
1: You'll find that as two things. One, in doing a lot of walking, like there's walking after each sitting, so that means the walking is quite a few hours a day. You will find that that keeps the body, you know, reasonably together. Um, also, as the concentration improves, the body gets very light. Right? And, and people in, with very good samadhi can stay for days, just sitting in one position without movement. Right? They're in a state of samadhi. It's just, it's just energized by light, and there's no stiffness and no... Or we, most people don't get to that, that degree. <laughs> but you, you will experience that as your concentration improves, the body gets very flexible and light, and it does not need you know, any kind of rigorous uh, exercise. I but it could, for, for like 10 or 15 minutes if somebody wants to do it, it would be okay. And then
2: the rest of the day, all this, single.
1: Very mindful, perfect. everything, it would be very rhythmic, very slow, very balanced, very mm-hmm. mindful. All action, you could take an hour or two eating. The, the, the whole eating is going to be easy. eating, meditation. Okay?
0: Samadhi was like, was what, you know, we were heading for, what everybody was, like, that was, you know, it, feeling one, and everything,
1: and that's not... Mm -hmm. Samadhi means one-pointedness of mind. There are levels, there are degrees of one-pointedness, all the way, just from the moment-to-moment awareness of the object involves a certain amount of one-pointedness, to very high states of, like, cosmic consciousness, or universal consciousness, where everything is one. That's still all part of the wheel, right? From, from a low state to a very high state of consciousness. It's impermanent. Even in that state of universal consciousness, the process of impermanence is going on. The, the end of inside meditation is getting off the wheel entirely. Not, not landing in any place whatsoever, no matter how beautiful or expansive it is. Because any conditioned place is still impermanent and you're still liable to, to come back again.
0: And how do you get off the wheel? Like you say you get stuck in samadhi, I can see like you, know, you easily get stuck it's there. How exactly through being them? mindful.
1: Through developing insight into impermanence, which comes from this practice of mindfulness. You sit and you just see the whole flow. When you're, when you're doing samadhi practices, you're not seeing impermanence. You're fixing the mind on a single point and becoming absorbed into it. And it's valuable, like a highly concentrated mind is a very powerful mind, which can then be used to develop wisdom, right? But by itself it's not. It just has the function to stay steady on the object, or absorbed into it. The way to develop insight into impermanence is just to be mindful moment to moment, to see each moment how things are arising and passing away. And it builds up a tremendous momentum and tremendous balance of mind. And out of that balance, enlightenment can happen. Do it! And then, you know, you won't have to think about it. How does
4: the one-pointedness relate to the mindfulness?
1: They're two different factors, but they... Without some degree of one-pointedness, you cannot be mindful. Right, the mind, the mind is just scattered. And the stronger the one point in this, the easier the mindfulness is. People who have strong states of samadhi, who practice insight, it's very easy for them. They don't have any of the struggles that we have with the hindrances or the pains. Or every time they feel a pain, they go into a state of samadhi, their body fills with light, and then they meditate on that rapturous feeling. Right? But they have to use the samadhi to see impermanence. Well, everything becomes the meditation. So it's from the time you get up to the time you go to sleep.
2: Do well, we have time to read or
1: write? No, that reading and writing are really discouraged. Because that's all the concept level. In other words, this is really a serious effort to penetrate into the nature of things. Right? And the way to do that is to stay on the experiential level moment to moment. Now, the example is given, if you want to boil a pot of water, put it on the stove, and five minutes later you take it off. And you put it back and you take it off. It'll take forever to come to a boil. If you keep it on the stove, just in a very short time it's going to stop boiling. And it's the same way with developing insight. If you sit for a couple of hours and then you read a book or write a letter and then you sit and then you do something else, it takes a long time. If you really do it intensively, moment to moment, then in a short time you really, really, really penetrate. And that's, that's sort of the, the purpose of an intensive retreat.
3: You won't need food.
1: You'll need like uh, bedding, a sleeping bag or something, probably. Basically, that's it.
3: Outside or inside. No,
1: I, I
4: think I've never been to the place. I hear that there are something like a lodge a dormitory, or dormitory.